Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Isn't that great what the young people are doing? Isn't that fantastic? Small acts done with great love can bring tremendous change, so uh, that's what we learn, don't we? So today's Palm Sunday, and obviously next week is Easter Sunday. I'm going to spend a bit of time today looking at just Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and what was happening as he came in and kind of the culmination of his ministry, really. So as Jesus sets out from for Jerusalem, we see a change in his ministry. Up until this point, Jesus has kind of been covert in the way he's ministered. He's gone around and he's been praying for people and healing people and setting people free. But over and over again, you see, he tells people, don't tell anyone about this. We see this in, uh, in Mark 1. We see, um, we see it in these verses here. So the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many diseases, sorry, many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And then this account of the man with leprosy who Jesus heals. And as he goes away, Jesus leaves him with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone about this. And so Jesus has this covert aspect to his ministry. He's going around and he's doing kingdom stuff. He's praying. He's releasing the kingdom. But there's this covert aspect to how he's doing it. Don't tell anyone about me. And we can surmise that Jesus was doing this because he wanted to move around freely in the countryside. He didn't want to have these expectant crowds sort of crowding around him everywhere he went. He didn't want crowds waiting for him when he arrived. He wanted to do the Father's business. And so he was operating in a covert, sort of off-the-grid manner. But on the day he comes into Jerusalem, everything changes. Everything gets inverted. And Jesus becomes this confrontational character rather than this covert character. And it's the day we call Palm Sunday because the crowds were there and they waved their palm branch, they laid their cloaks on the ground, and they welcomed uh, Jesus as the Messiah, as the, as the coming king, into Jerusalem. And Jesus went in there and he confronted the religious establishment. He confronted them two blind men are sitting by the side of the road, and they call out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. And there's an inversion here, because the crowd say, Shut up, be quiet, you know, don't disturb Jesus. But they shout even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops, and he prays, and he heals them. And he receives this title, Son of David. And that literally meant Messiah. The Messiah is here. The Messiah has arrived. And Jesus, at this point, no longer says, be quiet, don't tell people who I am. Actually, at this point, he's beginning to be the confrontational king. He's confronting the religious establishment. He's acknowledging who he is. Because by taking that title on board... He's saying, I'm the one who's going to come and establish the throne of God forever. And that was a very confrontational thing to do, a confrontational statement that was being made. So there's no more covert ministry as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Jesus is going to go public in a very, very big way. Let's read what happens as he enters Jerusalem. He says, they brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd gathered there, spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest heaven. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting Hosanna. And Hosanna literally means God who saves. The one who saves is here. This is Jesus. He's the, he's the one, the Messiah, the one who saves. We're declaring who he is. And they're expressing their worship and their adoration and they're waving their palm branches and they're laying their cloaks down. And Jesus is now public in a huge, huge way. And then Jesus really ramps the heat up. He goes to the temple and he begins to clear house. He overturns the tables of the money changers and he declares it to be his house. His house. A house of prayer for all nations. And now we see the religious leaders and the Pharisees that are there. They're indignant. Because not only has he turned the tables over, but he turns and he heals the lame and the blind and the sick that come to him right there in the very centre of the religious heart in Jerusalem. And they're incensed by Jesus' blatant display. And so Jesus has gone from being this covert healer to this confrontational king. And what he's doing, guys, he's saying to them, either crown me or kill me. Crown me or kill me. Because I will not just be accommodated. I'm not just going to be somebody who's in the mix, who's just sort of modestly going about my business. Either crown me or kill me. Imagine yourself in the crowd some 2,000 years ago and you see Jesus riding in. How would you have responded? Which way would you have lent? Would you have gone with public pressure of the religious establishment? Would you have felt, yes, this man really is somebody who can save me? This man really is somebody who can come and transform my world? Which way would you have gone? Which way would you have lent? Because Jesus comes and confronts us in exactly the same way. He says, will you crown me? Will you crown me in your life? See, Jesus was humble, but he was never modest. And sometimes we get the two mixed up. We think Jesus was a modest man. He wasn't a modest man. He was a humble man. He was the humblest man to ever walk the face of the earth in the way he dealt with people and situations. But he was never modest. He was never sort of excused himself. He was very clear about his mission and his purpose. And he was always very clear to declare his identity. And he confronts us, doesn't he? Jesus is the king who confronts. Reynolds Price was an American poet and he had a lifelong interest in biblical scholarship. And he wrote this uh, about the gospel. As if 2,000 years of pious handling had not dimmed our understanding of the story's demand, his gospel would still be seen as the burning outrage it continues to be. It is either a work of madness or a blinding revelation. The act it portrays, the claims it advances from the very paragraph demands that we make a hard choice. If we take the gospel writer seriously, we must finally ask the question he thrusts so flagrantly towards us. Does he bring us a life-transforming truth or is this, the one, or is this one's gifted lunatic's tale of another lunatic wilder than he? <clears throat> so when we read of the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, we're faced with the same challenge that the crowd was then. Will you crown me or will you kill me? Will you receive me or will you reject me? Because Jesus didn't leave us the opportunity to sit on the fence. He didn't leave us the opportunity just to have Jesus in our lives in an accommodating way. 
because Jesus is the king who confronts. Jesus never came to be liked by you. You don't need to like Jesus. He doesn't need your affirmation. He doesn't need your love. He doesn't need your acceptance. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? I know, because you think liking Jesus is a good thing. <clears throat> but he doesn't need our affirmation. He doesn't, he doesn't need that from you. What he says to us then and what he says to us now is, will you crown me? Will you crown me? He never came to be popular, did he, Jesus? And he succeeded spectacularly in that goal. <coughs> when he died, by the end of his life, there were only four people recorded as present by the cross. There was Mary, his mother, there was two Marys, and there was John, the disciple. So at the end of a life of ministry, <coughs> incredible miracles, demonstrations of kingdom power, the only people present at the end of his life were four people at the foot of the cross. The other disciples were frightened. They were scattered. They were at a distance because they couldn't cope with what was going on in the situation. The confrontational king was there. And Jesus succeeded spectacularly in not becoming popular, in not becoming the one that was liked. Because of his outrageous claims the religious establishment killed him because he confronted them with who he was. He didn't leave them and he didn't leave you and I the option just to like him. We don't just get to like Jesus because he just comes and he confronts us. And every time we come into his presence, he confronts us. He confronts our pain. He confronts our criticisms. He confronts our comfort. He confronts everything that we kind of assemble around us to bring us security. And he confronts. If he's got, if we've got pain in our lives, he comes and he kind of gently puts his finger on that pain and says, it hurts there, doesn't it? It hurts. And the reason he does that is because he wants to bring healing to us. And he comes and addresses our wrong thinking. And he comes and confronts our judgments and our ungodly beliefs. He's always the king who confronts. And if we come to church expecting an easy ride, then we've missed it. Because whenever you come into the presence of God, guess what? He will confront you. He will confront you. Church isn't a safe place. Do you realise that? <clears throat> Church is not a safe place. Because you're coming into the presence of the king who confronts. And he says, will you crown me again in your life? Will you raise me again as Lord in your life? He never leaves you or I the option just to accommodate him or to like him. And this outrageous claim went forward into the heart of Jerusalem on that day, all those years ago. And he says to you, and he says to them, I'm the only way to God. I'm the only way. It's an outrageous claim, but I am the only way to God. There's no way to the Father except through me. Will you receive that? Will you accept that? Will you crown me, or will you kill me? We can't physically kill Jesus. We don't have that ability like the establishment did all those years ago. But we can kind of kill the work of the Spirit in our lives, can't we? The Bible's very clear that we can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Quench means to literally pour water upon a flame, doesn't it? To put out. And the Bible's very clear that we can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We can ignore the work of the Holy Spirit. We can attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to something that is evil or wrong. And all these things are very clear in Scripture. And so we can quench, we can kill the work of Jesus 
in our lives if we don't receive him as king. And Jesus comes and says, will you crown me? Because I can heal you, I can transform you, I can change you. But I can't do that from a position of just being accommodated. I can only do that from a position of being crowned as Lord of your life. Think of it this way. If I came to the, your, your house for tea, you invited me for tea, and I came to the front door, and I rang the doorbell, <clears throat> ding dong, and you said, who is it? And uh, I said, it's Simon. And you said, come in, Simon, but stay out, pastor. I'll be like, <laughs> okay. So just sketch right, you want to receive Simon, but you don't want to receive the pastor. Well, what would I do? I could be kind of stuck, wouldn't I? I couldn't kind of come in and kind of say, well, Pastor, you stay here. Simon, we're going in. I couldn't carve myself into two pieces. But sometimes we say, come in, Jesus, but stay out, Lord. Don't we? We want to receive Jesus. We want to receive the attractive nature of Jesus, the, the wonder of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. We sing about it. We pray about it. Come in, Jesus, but stay out, Lord. Because I don't need a Lord in my life. I don't need someone who's going to come in and tell me what to do or how to think or what I should do. I'm quite happy with that part of it. I just want Jesus to come in as Jesus. The Lordship part, just leave it with me. I'm quite comfortable with that piece. But we can't do that, guys. We can't just have Jesus as Jesus. When we welcome Jesus, we receive him as Lord. We receive him as King. And he has to be crowned in our lives for his fullness to have an effect in our lives because Jesus will never compromise his identity or his purpose he will never do that he will always come as Lord he will say will you crown me will you crown me as king so the only place for Jesus in our lives is that place of being enthroned who's on the big chair in your life who's got the steering wheel in your life who is the person that you submit to or go to for clarity and guidance So the challenge to the crowd is the same challenge that is to us today. Will you crown me as king? Because Jesus is the confrontational king. And he will always confront us. He will always come up against our prejudices or our our belief systems that are ungodly. So in one way, don't ever expect it to get easier following Jesus. Because Jesus will always confront. He will always bring about his purposes into your life to bring you into the fullness of who you can be in him but often that is painful and it's difficult and it's hard and sometimes we say sorry Jesus I don't want I don't want that I don't want to receive you and that's okay but we need to recognise when we do receive Jesus to have his fullness work in our lives we have to crown him we have to say Lord I do receive you as Lord truly so crowning Jesus means we submit to him we respond to him We listen to him. We go to him. We give him our plans, our hopes, our dreams. And say, Jesus, would you breathe your life on these? Would you direct me? And if Jesus is Lord of your life, at some point, he's going to confound you. He's going to confuse you. He's going to mess with your head. Anyone ever had their head messed up by Jesus? One person, wow. He will mess with your head because he's the king who not only confronts, he's the king who confounds. He's the king who confounds. His entrance into Jerusalem was a confounding thing. Stanley Herrer, who writes a commentary on Matthew, he says, um, all the other triumphal entries, they look like 
conquering kings riding in on war horses. 200 years earlier, Simon Maccabeus had defeated foreign armies and he kept Israel independent. And he rode into Jerusalem in the same way that Jesus had cheers and palm branches and shouts and cloaks. But he rode in on a war horse as a conquering army leader. That's the way most people would ride in in victory. But Jesus' triumphal entry parodied that. It was almost comical. Jesus rides in on a baby donkey. You can almost imagine his feet dragging on the floor. It's a comical entry almost to fulfill the words that were spoken in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus chooses a baby donkey as his transport for a victorious entry into Jerusalem. It's a confounding thing to do. But he does it to demonstrate that his victory will not come by might or by force or by arms. He's not going to establish his kingdom by overthrowing or killing foreign powers. His kingdom is going to be established in a different way. He's coming to rule and he's going to come to save, but he's going to come to do that by becoming powerless and by dying. It's a confounding route to victory that the crowd could never have expected. He's coming to say by becoming powerless and by dying. He confounds the expectations of the crowd and he will continue to confound you. Just when you think you've got Jesus pinned down, just when you think you've got him all boxed up, he will confound you. He will do something or ask something of you that will cause you to go, what? Those young people picking litter up for free, what? Have you been paid for this? No? Wow, I'm going to walk away laughing. Because you're mad. (laughs) The kingdom is an opposite. The kingdom is an inversion. The kingdom is a topsy-turvy thing. The crowd wanted this strong warrior king to ride in and free them from their Roman oppressors. Someone will bring pain and judgment down on those Romans. That's what they wanted. They wanted this Messiah king to ride in and overthrow. But what they actually needed was someone to bear the judgment for their sins. And for their pain. And to become the one who would suffer and die for them. Because not only were they being oppressed, but they too were oppressors. Because the sin that was in them was the same sin that was in the Romans. They needed a saviour. God often confounds us, guys, because you go to God and you say, Give me what I need. Give me what I need. I need this now. I need that now. I need this answer to prayer. And God says, Okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this instead. And you go, what? I didn't ask for that. I didn't want that. And God confounds us sometimes in what he lets us go through, lets us journey through, lets us receive. Because we all have a pretty good idea, don't we, of what we think we need. Yeah? We do. We, 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 we think, oh, I need this now, I need that now, get, get that sorted, get that bit in. We think we know what we need. But our view is always distorted. Our view is always limited. And we serve and love a God who has the full perspective of the universe and of our lives. And Palm Sunday is an incredible parody of the lifelong mismatch about what we think we need and what God provides. Because we're in the crowd saying, give me a warrior king, give me victory, give me this, give me that. And then Jesus comes in on a donkey and we go, hang on a minute, that's not what I asked for. That's not what I needed. But God knows what we need. 
And you might find yourself in a situation with people or circumstance thinking, I just need to get out of this situation. I need to escape this thing. I need to get past this thing. But God has put you there in that crucible because he's bringing about his purposes in your life. He's bringing about what, he, what you really need to happen in your life. And often we try and escape or we try and get out of. But actually God says, no, this is the prescribed soul for you. This is the place where you need to be. This is where you will grow. And this is where I'll bring change. The Bible tells us that God knows all our needs. God numbered the very hairs on our head. Mine was an easy count. <laughs> That's why he likes me so much. <laughs> but that passage is supposed to tell us that he knows us intimately. If he knows how many hairs are on your head, he knows you intimately. He knows your needs intimately. And he knows how to respond to your needs. But he will respond in a way that will confound you. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. This is Paul's experience of the kingdom. Perplexed but not in despair. Perplexed means I've run out of the mental horsepower to figure out what's going on. That's what it means to be perplexed. We've just run out of the mental capacity to make sense of what's going on. But Paul says, I'm often perplexed, but I'm not in despair. Because I know my God is still enthroned in my life and is at work in my life. Because Paul had clearly crowned Jesus as Lord, hasn't he? We can read that throughout his letters. He clearly knew Jesus as Lord. And so he could centre on that when things didn't make sense in his life. When he was confounded by the situations he found himself in, he could fall back on the fact that Jesus was Lord and he could trust him. And he goes on to write that he believed that God would meet every need that he had in Christ Jesus. When we don't fully receive Jesus as Lord into our lives, then we, we set about trying to fix ourselves. We set about trying to, trying to solve our own dilemmas and situations and we become anxious people, we become stressed people because we're trying to bring salvation to ourselves. And that's a difficult place to be in. Because if you don't recognise Jesus as Lord, then you will try and fix yourself emotionally, physically and spiritually. You'll take on the job that only God can do. And you'll look to other people and you'll try and get from other people what only God can provide. And you'll try and take from them something that they can never give you from situations, from people, from circumstance. If you don't allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, then you will get bent out of shape trying to fix yourself. Over the past few months and weeks, there's been an increasing sense of the Lord's ministry at Riverside. I've seen lots of people crying and receiving prayer and laughing and doing all sorts of responses to the Spirit as God's Spirit comes and rests upon us. We've been stirred we're being challenged, we're being encouraged. And that's wonderful. We want more of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. And perhaps you felt him over these past weeks. Perhaps you felt him in a way you haven't felt him before. Perhaps that's scared you. Perhaps that's excited you. Perhaps you're unsure of what God wants of you. I would encourage you to continue to open yourself up to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Because God is wanting more of you. God is a jealous God, it says in Scripture in James. You know, he's jealous for your affection. He's jealous for all of you. And maybe you've known Jesus' friend, but you haven't fully known him as Lord. 
and the thought of letting him come in unhindered is worrying you. you know, what might he ask me to do? What might he ask me to be? But I encourage you. Jesus is the king who wants to be crowned in your life. He is the king who occasionally will confound you. And he does all this, guys, because he's the coming king. He's coming again. He's coming again. He promises that he will return triumphantly one day. And we don't know when that day is. That day could be tomorrow. That day could be next week. That day could be ten years away. But he's the king who comes again. And he's coming by degrees as he extends his kingdom through us. We've talked about this before. And that increasing sense of activity of the Holy Spirit is a demonstration. It's like a herald running ahead saying, he's coming. He's, he's coming. And I'm kind of coming ahead. And I'm showing you and I'm stirring you and I'm reminding you that the king is coming. And what better place to be than in the expectant crowd of the coming king? So as we think about this Palm Sunday, will we receive him again? Will we receive him fully into our lives? That crowd, all those years ago, thought he was coming to put things right in a certain way. And he was coming to put things right. But he put things right in a completely different way to the way they expected. He put things right in a way for all humanity forever. And so he comes, guys, to put us right. He comes to put us right in preparation for his triumphal return. You are the project. Don't look so happy about that. (laughs) You're the project. He's coming to put us right so they all be right when he finally returns. So what is it in your life that you want from God or you perceive you need from God right now? What is it that needs to be put right, put straight? Don Carson, in his commentary on Matthew, he says, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on an unbroken animal. That foal would not have been trained, broken, ready for riding. Yet Jesus gets on that animal and rides through an incredibly noisy crowd and the donkey just obediently walks on when it should have kicked and bucked and been skittish and fled. But under Jesus' reign, under his peace, that animal kind of comes into alignment with the kingdom. He says this, In the midst of all this, an unbroken young animal remains totally calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls nature and stills the storm. So Jesus is the one who wants to be that crowning king in our lives, to bring all that brokenness, the needs restoration, the fear, the prejudice, whatever we carry, he wants to be the king who brings his peace and his restoration into our lives. Jesus is the king who confronts, he's the king who confounds, and he's the king who is coming again. And this is the king that we're called to know, the king we're called into relationship with. And just remember, he never came to be liked by you. He never came to be accommodated by you. He comes to say, will you crown me as king? Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.